following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Well, we're continuing in our Beatitude series in Matthew chapter 5, our Upside Down series. If you're just joining us, we've been in this for several weeks talking about the unique and surprising characteristics of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And looking at the, in Matthew chapter 5, this beginning of a, of a famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus launches into these eight different characteristics that seem to be somewhat of contradictions. He talks about blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, blessed are those who are meek and hunger and thirst, and all these things that would be negative things. Jesus is saying, these are the people that are truly blessed. And these are characteristics of everyone who belongs to Jesus. And so this morning, we, we continue in Matthew 5, verse 8. And here is that verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, there's a lot of words in here that we can, we can really touch on. We could talk about what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be pure? What does it mean to actually see God? But the word that I want to focus on mostly this morning is the word heart. Because heart is often mistaken for an emotion. It's often mistaken for a feeling. Whatever you feel, that's your heart. But the heart is so much more. It is, it is more than just an emotion and a feeling. It's rarely even used to mean the actual physical organ of the heart. But think of it more as the innermost part of a person. The deepest moral and spiritual convictions are found in the heart. How do you believe life works? How do you believe that the world turns? What is your worldview? Everything, are the deepest convictions of who we are reside in the heart. The heart is who you are, who I am, when it is the place where there is no secrecy, where it is just you and God, and maybe even the things that you are unaware of, the things that only God can see. Who you are when no one is looking. When God is the only one who knows what's going on, that is who you truly are. And knowing this, this is why Jesus came into the world, because he knows what is really going on in our hearts. The Jewish people had this obsession with purity. Purity meaning uh, cleanliness or perfection or clean, morally without blemish. And Purity was so much a part of their relationship with God. They had to be pure. They had a laundry list of things that they had to do in order to get into a clean and pure relationship with God. And if they did not go through those things, that relationship with God was hindered. They had to clean themselves. And Jesus says, think of purity. Think of cleanliness. Now, instead of thinking of your outward, instead of thinking of your skin, think of your heart, the deepest part of who you are. Think about that, and that's what I want to talk about. So reading this verse again with this kind of understanding gives us a new perspective. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so I want to answer three questions this morning. What is a pure heart? Why have a pure heart? And how to have a pure heart? And I think if we can answer those three questions, we'll understand this passage really well. And so let's look at what is a pure heart. The first thing that we've learned as we've been going through this sermon uh, by Jesus in the Beatitudes is that Jesus is deeply concerned with not the outward appearance, but what goes on in the heart, the inside. He is concerned about this whole life transformation, the real transformation of a person. Remember our first week in, in, in Matthew 5, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Jesus is going right away to the, the inside of a person. Heart transformation. And throughout his sermon, he confronts that religion, religion itself is concerned with outward appearance, about being a better person, about cleaning up your act, about, about changing behavior and even changing attitudes and characteristics about yourself, looking like you have things in order. And Jesus is confronting that at every turn, at every step of the way. Speaking of religious leaders, Jesus says this in Matthew 15. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So an impure heart is a heart that is far from God, but gives the impression to ourselves and to other people around us that we're actually really close to God. We sing songs, but we're not really worshiping. Truth is spoken. The Bible may be open, but it is not lived out. So there's actions of love, but there's not real true love in our heart. So a pure heart is the result of orienting our entire lives, our passions, our motivations, our desires around the truth of God. Not because we have to, but because we genuinely want to. So having a pure heart is orienting all of our life about the truth of God, our passions, our motivations, our desires, our interests, our goals, our pursuits, our emotions, everything around the truth of God. So let's ask the next question, why have a pure heart? Why should we live like that? Why should that be an ambition of ours? And here's the first thing, is because everything in our heart finds a way out. Whatever is in your heart will come out. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So looking at that list, I mean, the things that you and I think, the way that we speak, the way that we act, even our emotions, the things that we feel, All of these are a result of what is going on in our life. The things that we reach for in life, our our goals and ambitions, everything important to us, Jesus is saying, everything important to you is a result of what is going on in your heart. Your heart is a stream of water that that flows out water and it hits everything in front of you. Your kids, they get what comes out of your heart. Your work, your spouse, your boyfriend and girlfriend, the driver in front of you that just cut you off, the person on the TV, the political ads, whatever it is. However, whatever is in front of you, your reaction and involvement in those things is a result of who you truly are. What is going on inside of your heart? So your heart is just bleeding on everybody and everything that you come in contact with. Have you ever... Have you ever had a cut, maybe on your hand or somewhere else, and you didn't realize it until it was everywhere? It was just like on the door handle, or, or it was just little. I mean, I'm talking about like gushing, but just like you see it, like, you're like, I'm bleeding? How, when did I start bleeding? This is what the heart does. And this is how the heart operates. It, it naturally flows out. The way you interact with everything in your life is a result of what is going on at your deepest core. Don't believe me? Think of... Try to change something in your life without changing your heart. And you'll realize how hard it actually is. Are you angry? Just stop being angry. 
Are you a jealous person? Just get over it. Are you impatient? Just relax. Is there lust in your life? Just turn that off. And all of us have tried to do these things, and you realize just by changing the behavior and changing the attitude without getting to the heart, you realize it's, it, it does not change. It may change for a moment, a season, but it always finds its way of taking control of our life, our thoughts, our actions. You and I can be the best theologian. We could spend time all day long in the Bible, learning the Bible, memorizing the Bible. But everything you do is going to be influenced by your deepest core. And that's what Jesus calls the heart. This is why religion, this is why increased Bible study, this is why just going to church or increased moralism, which means doing good things so that God will like us and look at us with favor, this is why all these things are ineffective in themselves to really change us at our core. I remember speaking with a pastor friend. It said something that I immediately regretted. It it was one of those foot-in-mouth disease moments. You know what I'm talking about? And I said, I said something, and very quickly, without skipping a beat, I said, oh, man, gosh, I, I really shouldn't have said that. I didn't really mean that. Um, I just I, I made a mistake. And he didn't let me off that easily, as he shouldn't have. He says, but you did say it, and out of the overflow of a heart, the mouth speaks. You said it because you really believe it. And he really, he really confronted me in that moment, rebuked me, showed me how I was thinking about things wrong, that we just don't make mistakes we don't just mess up. Our heart fills over and pours over into our response and how we act. I recently saw a neighbor um, struggling with his yard, and he was trying to fix a little drip that was going on in his irrigation. He had one of the drip lines, and it was just this small stream of water kind of spilling over onto the sidewalk. And I see him out there, and it was a day where I was going to work in the yard too, so I, just, I go over there, and I spend some time with him and ask him if he needs any help, and it's a small league. It's one of those leagues where you could really let go and really had been let go for a long time. You could let it go for days without it really causing much trouble. Went over there and I said, can I help? And I took a shovel and I began to dig where the leak was coming out of. And one shovel in and I took a big scoop out and then the, that little trickle began like a little stream. And then I took another shovel scoop and I dug a big, and then the water starts to pool. Maybe you've done this before. So the water is starting now to gather and it's coming out a little further. We're starting to realize it's a little bit more involved than we thought it was. And so he pulls back the plant, and I dig even further. And a couple more scoops later, and it is just gushing now. And I get on my belly, and I reach into this muddy hole, and now I'm elbow deep in water. And I'm through the mud, and I grab onto it. I can feel where it's coming out of. And this little trickle that we saw was now, I have my hand full pressure on this pipe that has a half-inch hole in it. And it's at that moment where both of us started thinking, uh, why should we just let it alone and not do anything? It's nice to not know how bad things really are. We don't want to dig into our hearts because we don't want to know what's really going on in there. And if we just let it trickle, that's a lot better than letting it gush out and just spill over into our lives. Ignorance is bliss. However, this doesn't work in the long run. Because it will come out. It will come out. And when it does, it will not be bliss. It damages whatever is in its path. Then as my neighbor stood up, and we both stood up and just kind of looked at the mess, I glance over at his leg, and I just see, like, blood streaming down from his leg. And I'm saying, sir, your leg is bleeding. And he looks down, and he says, oh, yeah, it is. I have, 
I'm, I have this heart condition I'm taking medicine for, and it does that from time to time. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this is like sermon illustration overload going on right here. I was like, your leg, this irrigation pipe is all symptom of a much bigger problem. And we so easily can look at something broken in our lives, like the ground or something in our house or whatever, and we roll up our sleeves and we say, you know what, I've got to take care of it, I've got to take care of it now or it'll get worse. And yet we look at our own hearts and we see what's going on in our hearts and we say, you know what, I don't have really much time for this, it'll eventually just work itself out. There's other things to focus on. We need to care more about what's going on in our heart than we do what's going on in our yard. And sadly, I've seen marriages, I have seen lives, I have seen at least joy in people's lives just destroyed. You probably have too. People close to you, you've seen just lives crumble right before your eyes. They've caused a lot of pain because the heart has not been protected. It has not been guarded. It has not been dealt with. The things going on in the heart. Why should we have a pure heart? So that the things that we care about are not destroyed. Because everything in our path, everything in our influence, everything that God has given us as a gift will be affected by what's in our heart. So we should care about what's going on in our heart. The second reason why is because it's important to God. We should have a pure heart because it's important to God. God sees what we do. He he knows what is in secret. He knows what's in our heart. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God knows. He knows exactly who you are. And often I think this, this comment could startle us and maybe used to kind of make us feel afraid, but I want to use it to actually make you feel encouraged. Usually, we're not encouraged by this, but if we lose out on some earthly benefit because we have chosen to trust in God and to follow God and to orient our choices around the truth of God, he sees that. God sees our hearts. He sees our motivation, our intention. And that's the, that's the dilemma where we start to say, if I really do this, if I trust God, if I orient my life around him, I'm going to miss out on something. But I want to encourage you and say, God sees even that. And he loves, he, he looks for people. He delights when people have a pure heart, when they orient their lives around him. When our experiences don't match our convictions, will you continue to trust God? Will you continue to have faith in him? Will you continue to say, but I want to guard my heart because it's important to God and he sees everything. The brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, James, says this in James 5, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth? being patient about it until he receives it early in the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We strive for a pure heart because God is faithful. He desires men and women and children who delight in him. Be patient. Guard your heart. Establish your heart. Pay attention to what's going on in your heart. 
deal with those matters of the heart because God sees it. Thirdly, we should have a pure heart because the pure in heart will see God. Jesus says just a chapter later in Matthew 6, he says, for where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What this means is, simply, we will orient our lives to what we love the most. How we think, how we act, how we feel is a result of what we love. The plain thing in this verse, what does this mean? Whatever is, your heart, is in your heart is going to come out. No one can stop it. If your heart is full of pride, if, it's heart, if your heart is full of jealousy and anger or fear, it will hit everything that is in front of you. You'll see more frustration. You'll see more anger. You'll see a deeper void of the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things, we will see a, a lack of those, a void of those fruits in our life. But think of it the other way. If your heart is full of Christ, if your heart is full of the truth, of Christ, then this too will go out and hit everything in front of you. When your treasure is Jesus, our lives will reflect that as well. And the pure in heart will see God. And I think this means we see God in, in, in two different ways. One, we see him very future, in a future sense, and we also see him in a present sense. In a future sense, think about this, we get to see him face to face. We get to be with Christ. We are admitted into his presence. We are we have access to where he is, to be with him forever, physically, with God, with, with, with him forever. Sometimes you're in a doctor's office and you're sitting there and what goes through your mind is, I, I don't know if I'll ever see the doctor. I may, I may die right here in the doctor's office. And the promise that Jesus gives is you will not be waiting forever. We will be with him And we will see him face to face, and he will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. We will have eternal access and presence with God forever. What a great thing. But it doesn't end there. We also see God very presently. The cry of the Psalms in the Bible, these songs and these poems written, are a cry for God to not hide himself. So the psalmists uh, uh, who are writing these songs are really crying out to God and saying, don't hide yourself from me. I want to see you. Don't hide your face. Don't turn your back. Don't depart from me. And what these psalmists are saying is, I want, I want your presence to be so known in my daily life so that it brings comfort. I want to see you working in my circumstances. That's what it means to see God. I want to see when something happens, I want to see your hand just working through it. I want to see how you're providing and how you're sovereign over it and how you're orchestrating my life and how you're bringing comfort into everything that I face. I want to see you. I want to see you in Scripture. As I read, I don't want to just be reading words on a page and I don't just want to be getting information in my head, but I want my life to be transformed. I want my heart to change. I want to know you as well as you know me. That is what it means to see God. I want to be comforted by your presence. King David says, hide not your presence from me. It wasn't that David was seeing God face to face in that sense. He was saying, don't hide your presence from me. He's saying, don't let me feel like I'm all alone in this. And Jesus says, you are not. 
I am with you. And seeing God is the result of orienting our life around him. Deep peace, knowing that he is present with us in our circumstances. The benefit of a pure heart is the continual peace that comes from seeing God and his grace weave through every moment of our life. It's a great thing to see God. Lastly, I want to answer how to have a pure heart. How do we have a pure heart? It is true that God makes us pure by his act of grace, his un, our unmerited favor he gives to us, an undeserved intervention into our life. But yet there is this instruction to guard our hearts, to protect our hearts, to carefully watch over our hearts, the deepest core of who we are. And so the first way to do this is to pay attention to what is going on in your heart. Do you lock your door to your car? Do you turn off your hot iron before you leave the house? Do you put a seatbelt on? Do you have a security alarm? Do you have protection at your home for burglars? You do these things because you want to protect your treasures, the things you care about, the people and things that are valuable to you. Why would you not do this for the most intimate and deepest seat of all that you are in your life? Guarding your heart. They must be protected and guarded because what is in our hearts will overflow. There must be a gate on our heart with a guard, an armed guard at that gate saying, here's what can come in and here's what is going to stay out. Do you think of it like that? Do you often think of it? It's a great imagery that could come to your mind. You think, okay, when I'm tempted, when I'm listening to something, when I'm interacting with the world around me, do I really see this soldier at my heart saying, wait, wait, wait. Not in here. That is what we need. We should be aware. Be aware of how people affect you. Have you ever noticed that? How relationships and friendships might affect you. And I'm not saying if something affects you bad that you just like get rid of this person in your life, but to be aware of of how things affect you and, and who affects you. Conversations you might have. How do conversations affect you? How does the music you listen to affect you? How does the movies that you watch affect you? I know, I know, you're an adult and you're not affected by that stuff. That's not true. It happens in subtle ways. Like, none of, none of us are, are, are exempt from the, the impact of the world around us. We're all vulnerable. We're all, we all need to guard our hearts. When you act a way that you really don't like, when you do something, something comes out of your mouth, or you act a certain way that you immediately regret or you regret over time, you know, the spiritually immature person will they'll ignore it, they'll kind of shrug it off, they'll manage it, they'll blame it on someone else and say, I'm acting this way because they did this. But there's a very different way that a mature person, a spiritually mature person might react. A spiritually mature person says, why do I do that? Why do I feel the way I feel? What what am I trusting in? What am I afraid of? What do I love that is motivating me to act, think, and do whatever I'm doing? And if we are humble to ask that question, God loves to reveal the answer to those questions to a person with a humble heart seeking the truth. How to have a pure heart, secondly, is to nurture your heart. Our hearts are like pianos. We 
when we first got this piano in the church, we had it tuned, and I was so excited. We got it tuned, and it sounded great, and then one of our musicians says, hey, can you tune the piano? And I said, we did that like a year ago. Like, why do we need to do it again? And obviously, like, with the fluctuation of humidity and the dryness and the temperature changes, I mean, this, it is in flux. It's in constant flux. We have to get it tuned and get it tuned again. And so the constant flux of our life and the circumstances, the different seasons in life, the, every day is a new day, a new opportunity to be presented with the world around us. We might even wonder, how did this happen? I thought my heart was in tune. I thought my, I thought my relationship with God was good. I felt like things were going well. Or like a cutting knife, a, a knife that is sharp. And I worked in a restaurant as a cook for a few years, and people, the chefs even brought their knives in like a really nice bag. I mean, they had a case for their knives, and they unzip it, and they take it out, and it's perfectly sharpened. It's the reason why we don't use our cu- cooking knives to you know, chop wood. We don't give it to our kids to play out in the yard so that they will remain sharp. If you've ever said this before, there once was a time in my relationship with God that was much stronger, and I don't know what happened. Somewhere along the way, one thing happened after another, and here I am, and I don't know how I got here. It's because that we've neglected to tune our hearts to God over time become out of tune. Jesus says in Matthew 13, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they cannot barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. We often do not receive the blessing from God or see God working in our life, or feel the comfort of his presence as intimately as we would like to because we have failed to nurture and protect our hearts. We've become dull, and it's never God's fault for that happening. It is never God's fault for our lives with him becoming dull and out of tune Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's that word, of the heart. There is no substitute for personal, quiet time with Jesus in his word. This is how we come to his word by faith and we trust that these are God's word, that they are actually inspired by him. To believe in these words is to believe in God himself. To neglect these words is to neglect God. To disobey these words is to disobey him. We believe that these words are like a sword, that they sharpen us, that they cut out the dead parts, that they, they tune us, they sharpen us. They bring us back into an intimate fellowship with God where we see his hand working in our life. And lastly, the way we do this is soak yourself in Jesus. Jesus alone has the ability to do heart surgery. Belief in the gospel leads us to, leads us to believe that Jesus did not only come to teach. You know, Jesus did not just come to this earth and say, be pure, be merciful, be loving, do all of these things. He came to make us all of the things that he teaches us to be. And he does this by first doing what we failed to do. We're commanded to be loving, but you and I fail to be loving every day. 
But Jesus is perfect in how he loves. He gives us a commandment. We fail at it miserably, and he is perfect in it. We're commanded to have a pure heart, but we fail to have a pure heart every day. And Jesus is pure. He unites us with himself through faith. We are made right with God on the basis of Jesus' work on the cross, his death and resurrection. His righteousness is the basis for our righteousness. We receive the promise of his forgiveness by faith. And then he does this by empowering us with his grace. You see, he does what we have failed to do. He unites us with himself by faith, based on his work, and then he empowers us with his grace. He alone gives us a new heart. He alone motivates us, empowers us. His spirit rests in us and lives within us to resist sin, to do what is right, to pursue him, to be obedient and faithful. We don't want to just grow to be a better you. We want to grow to know the love, the grace, the power of Christ in our life. If our end result in life of trying to change something in our life to be a better person, if the end result is just that, that to be a better you, a better version of yourself, then you are just as self-reliant as you were the day before you knew Jesus. You're just as self-reliant as if you never knew Jesus at all. But if the end is to know Jesus and his grace and his influence in our life and his presence in our life and his glory working in us and through us and overflowing into everything around us, then you're beginning to understand what the gospel is. What the work on the cross really accomplished for us. The real problem in the world and in our lives is rooted deep in the most secluded areas of our being. And Jesus says, this is the very thing that I came to fix. Jesus called himself a physician. And I imagine that his area of medicine had a lot more to do with heart surgery than it did with dermatology. But often we come to Jesus with our moles and say, there's something that looks bad in my life. Can you fix this? And he puts us on like the heart transplant list. Like, no, you don't understand. I have a hairy mole. And how did I get on the heart registry, you know, for a new heart? And Jesus says, that is the real problem. I have not just come to fix your outward appearance. I didn't just come to make you a better person. I didn't come to make you a more spiritually Christian attractive person. I have came, I've come to resurrect you from the dead to give you a new heart. And that will overflow. Whatever is in your heart will come out. Sometimes we need medicine. Sometimes we need surgery. If you haven't come to a place of, of really trusting in Christ, where you're still trusting in yourself for salvation, you may call yourself a Christian, but if you're still trusting in yourself and your works and your good character for God to look at you with favor, then you're still just as self-reliant as if you never knew him at all. And if this is the case, you don't need medicine, you need a new heart. Otherwise, it's like giving aspirin to a corpse. It doesn't do any good. But we need the medicine of the gospel that heals us and continually heals us and continually reminds us of his grace and what he has done, continually encourages us to come to him, to rest in him, to find strength in him. It gives us a new identity as forgiven people, and it motivates us to live out our lives for him. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. Look at this verse in relation to everything we've talk, been talking about. Jesus says, you want to know what my heart is? You know what the deepest core of I am? Do you know, do you know what is the innermost part of me? I am pure. And if you, if you come stand before me, everything will come out and spill onto you. So position yourself in front of Christ. We do that by turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. We do that by confessing the things that we are trusting in that are not God and trusting in Jesus, presenting ourselves to him. We're presenting our gift to him, saying, Here is, I'm giving this up. I'm rolling this over to you. I'm trusting in you to forgive me. And the love of God just spills out onto us. He's saying, take my yoke and learn from me. Position your heart in front of mine by receiving my work for you by faith, trusting in me, and you'll be blessed all the days of your life. If we have a pure heart, the manifestations of the love of God flow from us all the days of our life. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Thank you.